we're very aware that a lot of the hospitality industry um, has been taken right to the right to the cliff edge uh, in the past 12 months, and um, and we don't uh, we want to make sure that their experience with the Australian Open is a positive one, and uh, can help in some cases get their business uh, back on track and and really help in a positive way. So most of our commercial arrangement. Uh, the risk does sit with us. Today on Dirty Linen's Summer Series, we are talking sport. And when we talk sport and Melbourne, I guess we talk about something that is interwoven into the city's life. It encompasses entertainment, it encompasses food and beverage, it's a, it's social, and of course uh, we love to have some sport in there amongst it as well. Uh, so our victim today is Ben Slack, for the Chief Revenue Officer from Tennis Australia. Uh, ben is leading up to the Australian Open, delayed due to COVID, but very much happening but in different form. So, Ben, Chief Revenue Officer for the Australian Open, that sounds like a massive job. Can you give us a bit of a sense of what it is that you do? Well, our team is responsible for quite a few things across the Australian Open and, and more broadly Tennis Australia. I suppose when it comes to the actual events and, and what we're putting on, we're, um, we're responsible for uh, working with all of our partners and, and sponsors around the world, our, our broadcasters and media partners, um, but then also our uh, experience on the site, uh, what we're doing across the site, who we're working with, and of course, um, you know, selling those uh, selling those experiences and selling those tickets to to um, the fun-loving public that like to enjoy the Australian Open over the the few weeks that we hold it here in in Melbourne. So, I mean, I love the tennis. I love going to it. I think it's a really fantastic event for Melbourne and I love, you know, that Melbourne has these big events, well, apart from the Grand Prix, which I hate, but I do love the tennis. Uh, And one of the things I love about it is that it's this really well-resourced playground, like innovation opportunity for food and beverage. Um, Of course, this year the tennis is so different. Can you talk about some of the challenges that you've had in bringing those experiences or planning for those experiences for for the public this year? Well, you're right. I mean, we do like to see it as a bit of a a playground with lots of different forms of of entertainment. And we we set out many years ago to ensure that it, it was exactly that. And it wasn't just about the tennis, albeit that that's at the heart of it, being a Grand Slam. You're right. This has been a um, well. It's been a significant year of planning, and and what we've got ahead of us will be different to what we've seen in ed- any other year. Um, what you'll see in particular is is uh, on the site alone. You'll see three zones, three hard zones, um, which we break up the precinct into, and um, and when you buy a ticket into into one of those zones, where we've got our three main arenas um, located. You have to stay within that zone, uh, and you can't go across into other zone. And that, look, that's what—that's, I suppose, one of the things that we've put in place to ensure that uh, the safety of our patrons and and staff and and players who are working and performing at the Australian Open, and working very closely with the Department of Health and and Victorian government to ensure that we are having a COVID-safe um, tennis event with with lots of people on site. And it also gives us the ability that should something hairy go go wrong. Uh, and there is a community transmission, uh, we can contact trace those people within those zones on any particular day, uh, on any particular session, and we know that where they've been. Mm. So I suppose that's been a, a particular challenge um, from an operational point of view, but then, of course, what we do with that with from an experience and, and how we have to ensure that the experience in those three zones 
is up to par and it's synonymous with what the Australian Open has become known for the past few years. Yeah, well, I went to the Boxing Day test and th- there was that, that similar zoning where you could only s- stick to, to your bay and it was, um, it, you know, th- that system seemed to work when there was a, a case at the cricket on, I think it was day two, and uh, there was I was camping and someone at the campsite where I was, you know, they got the text message, they needed to get tested, you know, they went back to Melbourne got tested you know so it seemed like that system worked really well so I guess at least that 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 part of it's been a little bit road tested but there aren't as many um, hospitality experiences at the cricket as there are at the Australian Open so what are some of the things that you're doing um, to ensure that people can still have an interesting experience? Look, it's um, it's uh, it was something that was really important. It was a bit of a guiding principle when we set out to put the Australian. When we committed to putting the Australian Open on this year, we were going to do it without a without a compromise to the experience. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, interestingly enough, when we actually had to start planning for the zones, uh, we did it in a a, a very short period of time. Um, it was late in the play, in which we worked in with the Victorian government, and this was the direction that we were going. And we had to effectively transform the entire site. Um, we know that if someone's coming into a particular zone, that that experience needs to be up to par with what we've done. And so it's almost like three miniature events within within the one. Um, you know, you come in here and, and, and you experience the food and the music and, and, of course, the tennis as well. So what you'll actually see across those three zones is a consistent approach with the different food vendors and dining and, and retailers that we're working across. Uh, and that's been a lot of planning that's gone into that uh, over that time. So with so much extra stuff that you need to do and to plan for, and I, and I assume, well, obviously with no international tourism, with restricted domestic tourism, people can't um, come from every single part of the country at this point. And I'm sure people are nervous about going into state given border closures. Is it still possible to run a profitable event? It's a good question. It, it, it is very difficult. It does make it um, a lot harder to, to do so. Um, and I think you, you know, you're, you're effectively building a lot of temporary infrastructure on site for the two weeks of the event. Now, you would know that the hospitality industry is running off pretty skinny margins at the most of, uh, at the best of times. And when you're actually starting to build uh, the structures and the facilities that you're operating in, uh, that can make it even more difficult. And I suppose you overlay that where we have to plan out where the restaurants and the dining experiences that we're putting on site. We weren't sure whether it was going to have to be a one to four or one to two square metres. And so we actually did model our profitability off that basis. But look, we're not making as much money as previous years. And I think that's been no secret that we've been pretty upfront about. Um, but at the same time, we knew that if, uh, it was really important not only to maintain the Grand Slam status of the Australian Open, but also just to protect the brand of, of the premium nature of, of this event. We committed to putting this on. We said that we would do that with our partners and broadcasters, and we feel that's really important for uh, the community here in Melbourne and broader Victoria that we continue that uh, and put it on for the next few years, and we didn't want to miss a year. It's interesting when you talk about, you know, the reputation and the, the way that the Open's perceived in, in the community because, I mean, as I said, I love the tennis, but I have to say I've got mixed feelings about tennis players and their, and their entourages jetting in from around the world from some, you know, real COVID riddled locations. Um, we know that there's hotel quarantine, um, but it has been controversial. And 
some of these, um, some of the pampered tennis players perhaps aren't striking the right tone with the Victorian public who've, you know, fought very hard to have zero community transmission. Um, what's, how does that, how's that all played out from your perspective? Look, I can understand some of those thoughts and feelings in the in the community. I mean, Melbourne and, and broader Victoria and, and Australia has had a, a had a, a you know a very challenging twelve months. And being a Melbourne um, Melbourne person myself, I certainly didn't enjoy being in lockdown for, for many many months. It's been a huge logistical exercise to get uh, well. It's about a thousand people over here, which includes players and. And entourage and also some um, critical staff members, whether they be umpires or, or, or broadcast staff. We, um, we chartered 17 flights from uh, a few different locations around the world. And we filled those planes with those players and, and the support staff that I just mentioned to about 20 to 25 percent. What's really important, and I think, um, I think it's, uh, you know, it's really important for the, the general public to understand is that they were incremental flights um, and chartered flights at, at our cost. And we certainly didn't take up any positions for anyone trying to get back home into Australia. I think that's the first point. Um, and also the second is it's a very strict and disciplined um, quarantine program. Um, some of the players or the players can come out for between four and five hours to, to practice and train. These are, these are sort of, uh, these are athletes that, need to be conditioning before they go into a Grand Slam. Um, but in some cases where there have been uh, positive cases uh, as they've actually entered into the country, then those flights uh, where there might be close contacts have gone into hard lockdown uh, to protect, um, to protect the, you know, the community here and so that there's no outbreaks into the community. So it's really important. We, we tested players as they got on a plane and they needed to, to test negative. And then again, uh, when they arrived here in Australia, and we continue to do so over a two to three week period. So, uh, look, it's, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have the support of the Victorian government working in very closely with the Department of Health uh, and ensuring that we were very confident that this was going to be a, a safe uh, event for everyone. Um, and, and, and that's what gave us the confidence to, to put this on. I, I hear what you're saying in terms of the general public um, with some opinions on the players, and I think that it's unfortunate that there's been a few players that have spoken out over the past week, um, but I think it's a minority. And, and if you talk to the players, uh, uh, most of them understand the position they're in and the amount of effort that's gone into this from not only ourselves, but also the Victorian government. And they appreciate what Melbourne's, uh, Melbourne and Victorians in particular have gone through. And, and they're not dismissive of that. Um, you know, they've been invited over here um, and they're and they're locking down and they're following the rules and they'll come out and play some great tennis and they want to put on that showcase for for Melbourne and Victoria and I think that you'll start to see uh, how just how important that is for both them and 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 what you know how much they love Australia and I think it's a few players that unfortunately have painted a picture for for some of the the, the larger cohort. Mm. I mean, one of the things that I wonder is whether the ones who've been in hard lockdown and have less time on the court, uh, I mean, I guess the reason that they want to be practising is so that they can play better. Will there be a sort of diminished um, outcome for the Open when some of these players that have been in a harder lockdown, perhaps, you know, they can't perform um, in the way that they'd want to? Is, there, is, it, is, it, is it an Open that's not really going to be able to be played at full speed? 
Well, we, um, uh, as you as you know, and and most pe- uh, most people know that this year's Australian Open will take will, will effectively commence on the eighth of February um, for the main draw, uh, and that's three weeks later than what a normal year or what it was originally planned to to be. Um, and the reason we did that was we we don't want the players to come out straight away after quarantine and go straight into um, the main draw of a Grand Slam and. We made sure that there was a week in between there where we have uh, a number of lead-in events or what we refer to as the Melbourne Summer Series and the ATP Cup. Um, and that's a, uh, that's a series of both men and women's um, professional events that all the players will get an opportunity to get match time in. And, um, and all of the players that have been in hard lockdown as well will also have a, a number of days to prepare going into that so I think that you'll see that the standard of tennis is still up there for a Grand Slam once it commences on the 8th of February. Great and how are ticket sales going? Ticket sales it's been interesting look we normally go on sale in October um, of the year prior to the Australian Open and we actually didn't go on sale just because we didn't know what we were working with and we were still working with the Victorian government on approval of plans until a few days out before Christmas. Interestingly enough and I think it was because of pent-up demand we actually, the first 24 hours was actually uh, our strongest uh, sales or day of sales ever on record. Oh, we, wow. We've got going back. As you'd expect over Christmas and New Year's, it's always a bit softer um, as people take a bit of a break and they're not really thinking about that type of thing. And then it picked up again in January um, when people started to sort of come back online. The last week, yeah, we've it's been a little softer uh, as a result of what's been playing out. But we started to see that pick up in the last 24 to 48 hours in particular. In actual fact, uh, we went on sale yesterday with um, an exhibition, a day at the drive uh, in, for, for Adelaide. Um, that's where the players that have come into Adelaide will play on Friday the 29th, about a week from now. And um, and those tickets sold out within 30 minutes. So we know that um, we know there's still interest there. Uh, we expect it, that to pick up. And, um, and I think that there will be still a lot of people coming down to the Australian Open this year. What proportion of the crowd ordinarily is local? Um, well, we have about six, six, about sixty-five percent of it on a normal year um, comes from Victoria, um, Melbourne, okay. or, or Greater Victoria, and then you've probably got about a, of that about fifteen percent uh, are international, and and the remainder are interstate. So, look, that's obviously going to be very, very different this particular year. Um, we have seen some bookings from interstate. Uh, but it's been slower than what you would expect. It was mm. certainly higher before Christmas when, um, and then obviously, you know, we've had some some lockdowns or sorry, some interstate border uh, restrictions. Um, so we're just waiting to see how that plays out over the next few weeks. But hopefully we can start to see that being relaxed like we are at the moment. Uh, and what about corporates? I mean, uh, I guess, you know, Corporate hospitality has really been put on pause for almost a year now. Do you find that um, some of the companies, the local companies, are wanting to do things for their staff and their clients? We are seeing it. It still exists. Um, it's definitely less than a normal year. There's no doubt about it. Um, and there's, you know, there's people that are hesitant to to do that, or whether they want to, whether their guests want to be coming to an event and and being mindful of that. So it's less than a normal year, but it's still. Um, it's probably where we expected it to be. Um, in fact, probably sort of tracking a little bit better than that. We are being mindful of what um, it looks like across the eastern seaboard 
with border restrictions. And we've got a lot of clientele that come from New South Wales and, and Queensland in particular, and that's a bit of a risk at the moment. But what we actually did is that um, knowing that these, uh, if you call them barriers or reservations about coming to a major event like that, we actually designed some products to, to help um, counter that or, or make feel, people feel more comfortable in those types of settings. So, you know, whether it be private dining pods on, on Grand Slam Oval or even champagne cabanas on Garden Square, um, and even you'll see a lot more alfresco type dining. You know, people want space. Um, more open areas. You know, we're seeing people come back to the to the restaurant and cafe industry here in Melbourne, but they want that little bit of that extra space. And I think those products is helped counter that uh, and, and still get that corporate market or people who are still wanting to entertain at a major event. Mm, well, Champagne Cabana, I feel like that was designed for me. Uh, <laughs> that sounds really good. Um, ben, in the past, you know, I've done stories on the Australian Open and I've loved talking to your chefs about the vast scale of the event and the enormous quantity of produce that is used. Have you got any um, cool stats that you can share on that? Um, yeah, you're right. We always like to, I don't know, tell you how many uh potatoes have gone into our uh, tons of potatoes have gone into yeah. our chips or, or something like that look um you know we, we we're doing a bit of modeling on on what we think and how we'll play it out obviously we've still got a few few weeks to go but i mean ultimately i think across the entire two weeks of the tournament we're anticipating that we'll serve over sixty thousand dishes to our um to our guests on site which is and if you think about the fact that we'll be around about half half the crowd that we normally have that's still remarkable but the scale is quite significant so 60,000 60,000 dishes um and just to put that into perspective for you we're working with about we're working with about um almost 2,000 hospitality staff that will be employed over the two weeks as well that to to deliver these F&B experiences over the two weeks you know lunch and, and and dinner across there so um, it's it's going to be quite a few and it's going to be quite big. Um, and I'll, I'm looking forward to counting how many tons of potatoes that we do, do go through <laughs> yeah. at the appropriate time. But um, who knows what it will be at, at, at this particular stage. Yeah, sure. Well, it was actually my first summer job out of school was working at the AO selling ice cream. And um, I, st- I have to say, I did sell a lot of ice cream. It was a, it was a great job and it is such a um, an important annual employment opportunity for a lot of hospitality staff. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's great to know that you're still employing a lot of people. Um, one thing I've always wondered... Uh, ben is about who holds the risk if you're if you're a, a hospitality operator who's being brought in to the Australian Open, whether it's to run a restaurant or to run a stand. Like how what what is the commercial arrangements with between the Australian Open and those parties? Well, we work with um, we work with a number of uh, of different chefs and talent and um, and food operators. I mean, to give you an idea of that scale, uh, we've got about ten renowned chefs that we're working with, whether it be our well, well-known um, chef series uh, through to restaurants on site. Uh, we're working with another ten uh, local food outlets for a lot of the retail experiences, whether it be um, you know Hero or the Israeli Miznon. And we're actually working with about um, 150 local producers across the state. In actual fact, a lot of the um, a lot of the conversations with this ta- these talent and and caterers and chefs is that we wanted to mandate that they uh, use this, you know, amazing produce from our Victorian food bowl. So there's quite a 
vast range of uh, people that we're working with in a variety of different capacities. Every single commercial relationship is, is different. Um, we have a couple of major caterers that we work with um, who are doing a lot of our on-site mass um, uh, delivery. And then we're working with very smooth, uh, s- small operators that might be operating out of a, a smaller food truck, for example. So they, they're so vastly different. Mm. Um, we've structured um, most of our commercial arrangements in a way that th- there's very little risk. Um, we're very aware that a lot of the hospitality industry um, has been taken right to the right to the cliff edge uh, in the past 12 months, and um, and we don't uh, we want to make sure that their experience with the Australian Open is a positive one and uh, can help in some cases get their business uh, back on track and and really help in a positive way. So most of our commercial arrangement, uh, the risk does sit with us, but of course they differ across all of them. And I think that the way that we've modelled it. Um, we've been quite conservative with the uh, patronage or the volume of patronage on site. Um, I think that uh, everyone's going to come out uh, on top, which is great. Okay. So, yeah, it is it is really exciting, some of the talent that you've got on board. Um, so just to rattle off a few names, we've got Charlie Carrington, who's doing an Australian-themed menu. I'm really excited to see that Mark Briggs from Sardine in Gippsland is coming along to do um, one of the Chef Series events, as well as Michael Ryan from Providence in Beechworth and Phil Wood from Laura on the Mornington Peninsula. It's, it's great to see those regional Victorian chefs given, um, given some prominence. And I suppose there is a, more of an opportunity to highlight local talent in a year such as this. This year was a, a great opportunity, um, well, not only to showcase local talent and, and chefs and restaurants, but we're actually going to be uh, talking about the the tomatoes as much as the tennis balls. We're actually going to be um, uh, talking a lot about this this great food bowl and the local produce as well. So when we've been working in with all of the, the talent, um, making sure that they are working with with the local producers. So the Chef Series in particular are always uh, very exciting. This is the fifth year that we've um, been working on it. You, you made um, reference to, to Mark Brink. Mark Briggs from Sardin Tree and Michael Ryan from um, from Beechworth, uh, but so too from Phil Wood from Point Leo Estates and and Joe Barrett as well, formerly from uh, Oak Ridge Winery. And and then when we're working with these guys, it's about what what are they hearing heroing. So you know Michael Ryan will be working with Trout from from Harrietville, uh, Charlie Carrington. Really looking forward to him for the first time ever having an Australian themed um, uh, offering. Uh, he'll be sort of bringing in sort of great local produce from Lake Entrance and the Octopus. So it's all of these types of things. It's not just about working with uh, Charlie or, or Mark. It's about what are they doing that uh, what are they doing and what other uh, produce what produce are we heroing through through that experience. Love it. Well, Ben, I really wish you and the whole team the best with putting on a successful and COVID-safe Australian Open. It certainly is a funny one, one that we uh, will not forget, but hopefully we'll remember it for all the right reasons. But thank you so much for sharing so much insight into the event and the and the enormous planning effort with, with me today. No problem. Well, thanks, Danny, and hopefully we see you down at uh, one of the Champagne Cabanas in Garden Square soon. Yeah, I'll just need one just with my name on it permanently for the duration. (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. Bye. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue 
hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. It's, yeah, it's a really tricky one because, you know, from a government point of view, I can... (laughs)